Hello and welcome to Culture Exchange, a podcast at the intersection of the humanities and cultural diplomacy. I'm your host, Terry Harvey, Vice President of the Meridian Center for Cultural Diplomacy. This podcast series explores the impact of the arts and culture on diplomatic relations across the world through discussions with cultural diplomacy experts. The topic for today's podcast episode is Van Clyburn and his contribution to cultural diplomacy. Van Clyburn was a Texan pianist who in 1958 won the inaugural International Tchaikovsky Competition in Moscow with his own arrangement of the beloved song, Moscow Nights. This came at a time of turbulent relations between the United States and Russia, and the pianist's art was able to transcend tension and contribute to diplomacy. The esteemed pianist was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President George W. Bush, as well as the Order for Friendship by Vladimir Putin, the highest civilian award in each country. To discuss Clyburn's legacy, we are joined by Ms. Maggie Estes, the Director of Communications and Digital Content at the Clyburn Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization with the goal of promoting classical piano music throughout the world. Hi, and welcome. Thanks for joining our program. We are joined here by Maggie Estes with the Van Clyburn Organization out in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, we're really eager to dive further into his legacy and the great work that they're doing these days. First, I'd like to give our audience a brief overview about Van Clyburn and the International Tchaikovsky Competition in Moscow. Sure. So at the height of the Cold War in 1958, the Russians were holding the very first International Tchaikovsky Competition. That was put in place. It was right after Sputnik. Obviously, tensions were very high between the two countries and, and worldwide. And it was put in place really to showcase the superiority of Russians in classical music, of Soviets in classical music. And so Van Clyburn um, was American. He was studying at Juilliard. He was from Texas, uh, born in Shreveport, Louisiana, but grew up in Texas and was already recognized as one of the greatest pianists, uh, you know, with a rising sort of rising star in classical music and classical piano. And um, his teacher encouraged him to apply for the Tchaikovsky competition. He was accepted. He was helped to get there. Obviously, that was a complicated thing at the time. And he went and competed. And, and what happened was something that was really for the history books. He uh, touched the hearts of the Russian people. And I think that's really important because they saw him. He was wonderful. He was charming. He was kind. And he had a real heart-to-heart heart, heart connection with the people that were there at the competition and, and really all throughout Russia. He also really impressed the judges. He made a huge impact, obviously, with his piano playing, and they found him to be the best. And obviously, that wasn't what was intended by the competition. And so the story is that they actually, the, the organizers of the competition actually went to Khrushchev and asked if they could give the first prize to an American. And that he said, is he the best? And they said, yes. And they said, well, give him the prize. So that's the beginning of his story as one of the greatest, and we, we believe one of the greatest cultural diplomats that the U.S. has ever known. Uh, what year was that? It was in 1958. Wow, that's incredible. You had mentioned a little bit on the impact of the, of the people of, of the Soviet Union. They obviously kind of adored him and were surprised by him. I wonder what sort of impact it had on U.S.-Soviet relations at the time. Again, this is during the Cold War, so it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, it was truly at the height of the Cold War. And so really, I mean, at the time and then throughout his life, he was, like I say, a cultural ambassador. When he came back from Russia, he was greeted with, obviously, I mean, massive fanfare. So throughout the United States, what, what happened first was he was given a ticker tape parade in New York City. He was the only, is the only musician to ever have had that honor. People came out in droves. Time Magazine had him on the cover as the 
Texan who conquered Russia. <laughs> and then that went on to, in his career, you know, sold out concerts, tours, uh, the first platinum record, the first Grammy for classical music, you know, all of these accolades you can imagine. But as you say, I mean, the tensions between Russia and the United States were, um, for, for that time period, at, at, a, at a heightened state. And he really served as an example of an American to the Russian people. They truly fell in love with him. And that love lasted for his entire lifetime. He went back to Moscow in 2011 for the Tchaikovsky competition uh, that happened that year. And I mean, couldn't walk through the streets, you know, they called him Vanya and they, you know, walking through the streets, they're giving him fruit and flowers and just couldn't believe they, they got to see him in person. So as far as how, how that actually affected Cold War relations, I mean, I think that's one for historians, but, but I think it's definitely true that he made such a massive impact because of his love for the Russian people and how he came back to the U.S. also and was talking about how warm they were. There's a very famous line, and I, I won't do it justice, but they asked him when he very first came. Again, he's 23 years old, so keep that in mind, too. Right. The compassion that he had and how poised he was talking about it and also just charming with this drawl and, you know, a sort of one-of-a-kind look, too. So he came back and I said, you know, how did you find the Russian people? And he compared them to Texans because of their how warm they were and also like how frank they were <laughs> with, with people. So I think on a very sort of top level, you can see how just, and also remember at the time, it wasn't obviously, the internet wasn't <laughs> in existence. So he was in Russia, a different example of who, who Americans were, right? And I think that that's very important. Yeah, and at a time where the countries really weren't doing a great deal of cultural exchange, right? And, and then for him to go there and, right. uh, and be a Texan of all places, right? <laughs> like middle America going to Soviet Union and winning yeah. the hearts and minds of, of Soviet audiences. That's exactly place. right. And he, you know, and again, it was a different picture for them and a different voice and a different kindness and warmth than they would have thought from Americans. Amazing. But again, coming back and talking about the Russian people to the U.S. was equally as important. And then throughout his life, he was a symbol of that. I mean, he he went and played when Gorbachev came to the White House uh, with Reagan, you know, Van was invited to play at that very, very important meeting and played his concert and then also played Moscow Nights and sang along and Gorbachev is singing along. And it was just this really special moment because of who Van was as a person and who he was as an artist. Yeah, really just an amazing example of soft power diplomacy in the middle 20th century. You know, many would argue that the competition was was very deliberate in demonstrating Soviet cultural superiority during the Cold War. Obviously, it's quite remarkable that an American pianist won the competition. I guess, are there any any evidence of how the, the Soviet government responded to this? Obviously, Khrushchev endorsed his winning of the competition. They, of course, hosted him many times after that. But I wonder if there are any things to point to in, in the way that it, it really did shape uh, the way the Soviet Union uh, approached American culture. As you all know, I mean, there were, you know, there's there's history of jazz tours, and I think obviously in classical music, Van is is sort of the, the supreme example of, of that exchange. And you're right, he did have a lasting relationship with the Russians overall. And, and I think what's important to know, especially in, you know, the work that we're continuing on today included, that musicians are, you know, first and foremost about connection between people, right? And so that's what, you know, when we have musicians, they aren't necessarily, they're not representing their government. I think it's important to know that all these musicians like band came from different backgrounds, but that music is sort of this 
it transcends. It transcends any kind of boundaries that we can have. And so we as an organization are so fortunate to be based on that very true fact. And so as far as, you know, his really, I mean, he did go back, he won the, you know, he was given the Medal of Friendship by the Russian government. And so that, that relationship did fully continue throughout his lifetime. You know, I guess you could argue, you know, him having won it so early in the 20th century that, you know, Benny Goodman later traveled there in 1963 yep. and did amazing jazz tours. So perhaps uh, Van Kleiber may have opened or cracked that door a bit for the Soviet government to then say, okay, let's do some cultural exchange programming. And so I think so. Kleiber was a pioneer. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, Van was a classical musician. And I mean, the Russian tradition of classical music is, it, I mean, it's just top, right? <laughs> and so um, when you look at composers and you look at the musicians of the past and, and so, right, like you said before, with the contest being put together to show their superiority, but then having Van come in as a classical musician, which was something that they owned in their minds, right? And so then you have jazz coming in as a very American <laughs> art form. I, I think that there's definitely validity to saying that. Yeah, maybe shifting gears a little bit about impact in, in the U.S., right? You had yeah. mentioned that he came back and probably had warm stories of hospitality of the Russian people and his experiences there, how he was beloved. I imagine this award sparked great interest from people in the United States and perhaps added a boost to other American pianists to continue their work. I wonder if you could speak to that. Sure, 100%. I mean, it was a very singular moment, I think, for classical music in the United States because obviously of the story and we were talking about Russian and US relations, but what it did was propel classical music to this totally new level when you've got, again, you've got him selling records at a rate that had never been seen in classical music history for sure. First platinum and then triple eventually when that became a thing, triple platinum album, the concert ticket sales. I mean, it just everything across the board. Yeah, I mean, I think he did so much for classical music. And then you have just four years later, the Van Cliburn International Piano Competition started. And so, and quickly became one of the, you know, there weren't a lot of international piano competitions at the time, but it quickly became one of the top in the world. And though now there are, you know, thousands of international piano competitions, it's still considered one of the top three internationally. So yeah, I mean, his legacy is, is massive at the time, definitely for playing classical music to sort of an everyday household thing that people talked about, which, you know, necessarily maybe had not been the case before. Then you now have this, this huge legacy going forward of an America, very American institution that's operating at this high level and also launching the careers of pianists not just from the U.S., but literally from all over the world. Yeah, and it's, again, just the tremendous story of how cultural diplomacy has served a diplomatic role between two mm -hmm. countries. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the relationship between the arts and diplomacy. You know, in his case, he was kind of, you know, maybe the first uh, to do this in the Soviet Union. And gosh, since then, the State Department and other private sector partners have done this for years on end. I wonder if you could speak to the relationship between arts and diplomacy a bit. Sure. And like we discussed earlier, I mean, I think when you get to the core of music and classical music, I, I think in particular, what musicians are looking for, composers, you know, they've got genius works written by extraordinary human beings, right, that are able to use music to communicate things that you can't do with words, um, not just because of language barriers, because of the lack of being able to express that. And so when you look at musicians who are also extraordinary human beings with this masterwork, it's about the connection between people. And so obviously that extends to the relationship with people from all over the world. So yeah, so it's since the, the relationship of people all over the world. And so you have artists collaborating, artists playing in different countries, and obviously the world becomes 
has become with technology has become smaller, right? <laughs> We're able to connect. You've got also artists studying, you know, from Asia studying in Europe or the US, from Russia studying, you know. So there's this huge international music community of people who know each other. And again, they're not necessarily representing their countries, but we do know where they came from. And yet they all found this sort of path towards classical music and this passion for connecting with people through it, regardless of nationality. So of course that goes a long way, I think, in creating sort of an international cooperation, especially when things are, are, are more difficult and even when they're not. Yeah, the next question is kind of in line with that. I mean, I, I feel, as you said, music does transcend all language barriers because specifically symphonic music and classical music, right? Because there are no vocals and many, many scholars and musicians in the field study the early history of classical music. So it's all this sort of shared history together. I wonder if you could speak more specifically about how classical music plays such a vital role in cultural diplomacy. Sure, you're right. I mean, there are no words. <laughs> it's really you're communicating through music and it's something that can't be defined. It's like you can't define what it takes to be a great artist, you know, and obviously we run a competition and so we both think we're defining that. It's not that. I mean, the technical skill obviously is a foundation, but it's about the person and how they're communicating with other people. And so I think because of that, and because you have great tradition, obviously it's a Western art form, but you know, you have great tradition now. Classical music is huge in Asia, in China in particular, South Korea, Japan. And so, you know, you're seeing this happen. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and then obviously, like you say, in the US with band, what happened, you know? So I think classical music has a very specific place in that world because it belongs to everybody. And there's, again, no language barrier to it. It's about emotion and it's about communication purely through musical notes. Yeah, in a way, if you could read music, you can join the experience, which is, is yeah. really inclusive. Yeah. It doesn't really limit the participants in any way. So it's really quite powerful. Yeah. I mean, you um, know, and it's gotten cliche to say that music is an international language or, uh, you know, whatever is <laughs> the international language, but it really is, you know. <laughs> It's quite powerful. Would love to spend some time on the Clyburn International Piano Competition. Uh, I think this is an excellent example of your ability to, to sort of keep his legacy alive. And um, there's a huge cultural diplomacy element to that. I wonder if you can give our audience an overview of, of the competition sure. and really how it serves to celebrate Clyburn's legacy. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the Clyburn started in 1962 with the first edition. We are about to produce the 16th edition of the Van Clyburn international piano competition in June 2022 so that's coming up right around the corner over the years you know like I said it, it quickly became one of the most important competitions in the world so we have a dual mandate with the competition one is spreading classical music to as many people as possible the second is supporting young artists into their careers the second is extremely important towards our sort of our, our worldwide, you know, position, because artists want to come to the Clyburn because we do stand by them. They get concert, obviously there are cash prizes, but they get concert tours and that is actually the biggest prize as well as a lot of support into their careers, which obviously over time has become a very different thing, right? So we've gone to, you know, from just concert tours or maybe some press relations, you know, and media training and things like that to a very extensive, you know, program of helping them even with financial planning and tax planning and etiquette and, you know, social media and, you know, all of these things that as the world has progressed and technology has progressed, it become more and more important. So 
people want to come to the Clyburn uh, to compete because they want to become part of the Clyburn family and they want the support that we're able to provide in a very unique way. When you win the Clyburn competition, you know, you immediately have a concert tour. There's a lot of concert dates in the U.S., which is important, but also internationally. That's our dual mandate. We do attract the very best pianists from all over the world. So you have this extremely high level of performance. And also, like we talked about earlier, different perspectives in music. It's just a fascinating and really exciting celebration of classical music. It's every four years. That's intentional because we want to spend time with our winners to be able to build their careers before we have another edition and have new winners. But the international quality of what we do is so phenomenal. I mean, if you look at even the past several Clyburn competitions, in 2005, we had a Russian gold medalist. In uh, 2009, uh, we had two gold medalists, one from China, one from Japan. 2013, Ukrainian gold medalist, our first Ukrainian gold medalist. And 2017, our very first South Korean gold medalist. So when you look at that and you can, you know, it's just, it's a testament to you. And these are all people that were, we it remain extremely close to and we remain supportive of their careers because we look at this as, you know, without, without any attention paid when we're looking at artists and when our jury is, you know, is, is determining who should win, who should move on, who should win, you know, they're looking at it by only by their artistry and not by nationality, not by gender, not by ethnicity. It's really, it's a process that's, that's by music, but that is made more special because we have people from so many different backgrounds here with us and, and, and enjoying, you know, enjoying each other and enjoying um, the atmosphere. Yeah, in a way, I mean, the competition itself, uh, you know, embodies all sorts of goals across cultural diplomacy. I mean, you've got these people from all over the world competing for this this gold prize. Uh, and every four years, I imagine, does build up the intensity of this competition. You know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, just how many people compete for this. I mean, it's really quite large, right? How many folks do you get? It is. So, you know, this last time we saw a, a really substantial raise in applications to 388 applications. And I oh. think 50 countries are, I mean, it's, it really is international to the extreme. And what you also have to consider in that with 388 applications, the application is hard. <laughs> it's right. been, you know, it's been compared to like a visa applicant, you know, I mean, they've got to really be ready and our competition is also considered as far as like the, the repertoire that they perform to be one of the hardest in the world because of the amount of repertoire. It's about, it ends up being, if they go through the finals, about four hours of music that they have to be ready to play at that kind of level. And so, yeah, 388 applications for people who are extraordinary pianists. And then, you know, that comes down. And then we ended up, we had some live screening auditions because a live audition, they, they submit videos which are reviewed by, you know, a couple of different panels of experts that we bring in to select who we see in live auditions. And the live auditions are very important because you want to see how someone actually performs in real life, right? In a concert hall, reacts to the audience, reacts to the instrument, the hall itself, you know? And so we brought 72 in for that this last March. And then now we've narrowed it down to 30 that are coming back in June. Wow, it's incredible. And yeah. uh, I do not envy the jury selection in that <laughs> process. So you guys have a task. But yeah, I mean, and we also, I mean, I think one of the more important things, and it goes to that first part of our mandate is, you know, spreading classical music, promoting classical music around the world. And the Clyburn was a was a pioneer in webcasting that started in 2001. And I think we can all remember what the internet was in 2001. And they were the first to, to live stream a, a music competition. And so we've continued to build on that 
tradition, it's one of the most important things that we do because it provides such a huge platform for all 30 of the competitors that are there, you know, obviously for the medalists, but really it's a showcase. And so, you know, we're expecting at least 10 million views, if not more over the course of the three weeks that will be live in June, it continues to build both exposure wise and audience wise, but also artistically. So it's a show that we produce. I mean, the, 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 the main focus is on the performances and on the artists and their playing, but we also develop programming around that so that, it's drawing in new people to classical music, right? And so like we're showing the personalities and the history of the performers because it's easier to connect with people now if, and always has been, but if you think you know them a little bit or you get to know them a little bit or showing behind the scenes of the Clyburn so they understand, you know, what's going on on the ground if they can't be here with us in person. So that level of exposure is also another reason that, you know, we do have these the, really the greatest pianists at that age coming here. Incredible. And, um, you know, I'd imagine Mr. Clyburn was just so proud of where this competition evolved over the years and with his passing in, in 2013. I wonder if you could speak to really what his role was during the, the, the competitions. I imagine the other pianists were starstruck uh, with his presence. You know what I've always found fascinating? You know, he's 23 when he won the Tchaikovsky. So he's 27 years old with an inner, I mean, obviously he had massive fame at that point too, but. 27 years old with a, a piano competition named after him. You know, I've always found that to be fascinating. You know, in that first competition, you know, first couple, they were his age. Who were, you know, we do 18 to 30 year olds. And so he was the same age. And I just, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But no, he was involved throughout the course of his life. He was never running the competition. He never was an administrator. He was just so supportive. He had a, such a passion and compassion for young artists even from the time he was still very young and in his own right. And, you know, with the competition and, and you know, uh, helping us, uh, you know, helping competition as a spokesperson or just as a presence, he, he attended the competitions. He would give out the medals, the, you know, he would do during the award ceremony. And it did make it a very special moment for those pianists. I mean, one, Van Clyburn is in the room when you're playing, <laughs> but also Van Clyburn is giving you this gold medal and, it was so meaningful. I've heard so many stories from, because then the medalists did, you know, a lot of them really got to know him personally over the years. And most of them, I would even say the gold medalists. And you hear stories from, I mean, especially from the Russian gold medalists that we've had or from other, you know, other, you know, former Soviet countries. And it was so deeply, they felt such a massive connection. I mean, he was their hero, you know, or, you know, even outside of that, people that grew up have always grown up listening to Vance recordings. And so then, I mean, and that was one of their biggest inspirations, even as children. It was a huge impact. He was just such a wonderful man and was able to connect very personally with anyone. I mean, if you if you were in the room with Van Clyburn and he's talking to you, you're the only person in that room. It was just such a, I don't know. I mean, it was just a shit, even, even you know, in his later years, and just that any kind of occasion, you're going, he is in who he is as a person, a star, <laughs> you know, but in the most humble and, you know, direct kind of way. Yeah, I imagine very impactful on that personal level to other pianists, uh, perhaps his contemporaries really just aiming to advance in their respective careers and truly an American icon, right? Yeah. And, a, and a cultural ambassador uh, with tremendous legacy. So um, we have enjoyed this, this discussion so much and I want to thank you, but I thought we could end with an update on where the competition is now and, yeah. and how can people get engaged in the process? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're June 2nd through 18th this year is the 16th edition. Um, we're extremely excited about it for a lot of reasons. We know that it will be an international, the international celebration of classical music and of, and of these artists that, it, that it's always been. Each year takes on new meaning. Obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, so we are a year postponed. <laughs> it's been five years since the last Clyburn competition. And so for that reason alone, and then many others, we are just looking forward to it being a celebration. So we encourage people come to Fort Worth. It's the best environment. I can't explain the energy that happens in Fort Worth. It takes over the whole city. And so there's just a celebration of, again, people from all over the world, but also the webcast. It'll be available on lots of platforms, including our website, Clyburn.org, and on our YouTube channel, um, and then many others. It's so fun because you can watch every moment. You don't have to watch it live. You can watch it later, you know, but you can watch every moment, become a fan of an artist, cheer for them, see how they do, you know, and then, and then the great thing is after that, you can follow, you know, follow their careers and, and see what happens after. It's really, it's really something special. Well, it's fascinating stuff and uh, really have enjoyed the conversation, learn about Mr. Clyburn, his role as a cultural diplomat, his legacy, and, and really where you're taking that, how far you've taken that in, in recent years. So thank you so much, Maggie. Um, I want to encourage our audience members to, to learn more, find them online, uh, engage with them through virtually or take a trip to Fort Worth and enjoy it in person. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Culture Exchange, a podcast that examines the impact of cultural diplomacy in its many forms on global relations. We'd like to thank the National Endowment for the Humanities for funding this podcast, our guests on this episode for taking the time to share their expertise, our podcast editor, Ed Bishop, and our listeners for taking the time to engage in the world of cultural diplomacy.